This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. I love Christmas time. I really, really love Christmas time and everything that leads up to Christmas. Now, I know we're not there yet, but Advent starts next Sunday. So um, this is what we're going to be doing. It's called Advent, the Unexpected King. And again, this is to, to help us to prepare for um, the coming of Christ, our King that came in the form of a baby. So we are, I say we, I'm using the royal, royal we here, but we are excited uh, about uh, Christmas. And I'm really excited to be um, spending Christmas with you. So again, this whole season, I wasn't here last, last year for this, but um, this is, again, one of my favorite times of the year. Um, so I hope that you will be here um, next Sunday, which is after Thanksgiving. Um, with that said, I think that um, I'm, I'm going to be staying um, to help out with the, to put up the tree and that sort of stuff. So if you're, if you're able to, great. Um, but Joey's going to be um, putting all the stuff on the tree along uh, with Ray Ellen, I believe, um, this week. So if you're able to help, great. Um, but if not, whenever you come back, you'll be a little surprised to see, well, not surprised, but it'll be a good, um, a good sight to see that we are going to have the Christmas tree behind us. And again, I get a little excited about that. <clears throat> so um, I hope that you had a great, a great week um, since I've last seen you. It has gotten a little bit cooler. And uh, again, for those that were able to join, um, to join us over there at Catula, First United Methodist Church uh, for the Charge Conference. Um, it was cold and rainy, so at least it's just cold today. Um, but again, I think we had a good time over there. We did what we were supposed to do, and um, you know that's just part of the church um, calendar that we have to do that every year. But I did want to say that after that, um, again, uh, yesterday was just kind of like any other day, except that um, my family took me out uh, for dinner for my birthday, so I was very excited about that. Uh, I get excited about a lot of different things, really, honestly. But um, when I came home from, uh, from the charge conference, um, my family had made me a banner, and it said, Happy Birthday, Daddy. And then so it had um, some stuff that Knox drew and then some stuff that, that Jackson drew. And then they had a Christmas tree that they put on the wall and uh it was one of those kind of felt things or whatever so but it had a um so they decorated that and then it had some lights on it too so it's it's pretty awesome so i came back and that was waiting for me i'm like man y'all really know me this is awesome um but the other thing that i got a little excited about was um college football right and so today was my day we're not going to watch um, anything, any cartoons or, you know, anything like that. It's, it's daddy's day to, to watch college football. And I didn't see everything that I wanted to, but I did get to see one particular game. And you might be guessing which game that was. Remember, I was um, at TCU for um, a little over two years um, as a campus minister for the, uh, the United Methodist campus minister for TCU. So uh, I still have a, um, a kind of connection to TCU. Now, if you were not aware, TCU is still undefeated. 
And the way in which they um, were able to win was kind of crazy. So if you weren't if you weren't able to see that, um, like I know Joey wasn't able to see that, so um, I'll rehash it for you just a little bit. <laughs> so here we go. Baylor scored on a three-yard touchdown to cap off a 90-yard drive with two minutes and seven seconds left to go, and the Horn Frogs were now within uh, within scoring distance. So they able to score. And so they now, again, they, uh, I can go the whole thing, but they, um, they missed a field goal, I mean, an extra point. I'm like, that's your one job, right? Why did you do that? So anyway, they were, they were down by two, so it was 28-26. But then they were able to, um, uh, to score, right? But they didn't get that two-point conversion. So it was a big deal. Um, if they left it just like that, they would have lost. But they got a stop, three and out. And then they were back on the field, and it was only like a minute and 34 seconds left. So TCU somehow managed to get all the way down to the Baylor 16, but was short of the clock stopping first down. And no times left, no uh, timeouts left. There you go. With about 16 seconds left on the clock, the offense and special teams units they ran by each other as quickly as possible um, so they can get off the last play and the ball was snaps snapped at three seconds left so they didn't have any timeouts left they couldn't down it because it was fourth down so they had to do this like really really quick it was really risky but with three seconds left they kicked the field goal and it was good and it was really, really cool. And, and it went, it was, everybody was excited. Again, Baylor not so excited about it, but it was very, very exciting. Like what a way to win and to keep the undefeated season going. What a game. Now, I couldn't help but think about the odds for TCU to win that game, especially in the fashion that they did. And then... To add to that, the odds were definitely not in TCU's favor to continue an undefeated season because that in and of itself is um, a pretty remarkable feat. And the odds keep on getting more and more um, substantial against them. Of all the Big 12 schools, if you weren't aware of this, TCU is the smallest. They only have 10,000 students, undergraduate students, compared to some of the bigger universities like um, UT and um, Texas Tech and all those that, uh, that have bigger um, populations, uh, like in the 40s, so like 40,000 or so. So it's a big difference. So it's a smaller school, but they still are able to compete with the best of them. And add to that that this is the first year that this coach is a part of this team. The head coach is a part of this team. So in his first year, they are going undefeated. So again, I can talk about this all day, but don't worry. I'm going to talk about the Bible in just a little bit. <clears throat> so uh, with all that said, it, it is pretty remarkable that they were able to, um, to continue their undefeated season. So I know you're asking the question, what does that have to do with us? We're not TCU fans. That's okay. You can be honorary TCU fans. It's fine. Um, but how does this translate off the field and into our lives? So here are some odds that we might be up against. For starters, over 50% of all marriages, like we're looking at 61% in, 
as it continues to grow, end up in divorce. That, that's the plain and simple fact. Those are the odds. And that number is not going down anytime soon. And yesterday at charge conference, we did get a little bit of good news and uh, because we heard some, some statistics about the United Methodist Church and we talked about uh, the Rio, Texas conference and specifically our Las Misiones district as far as attendance. And we're doing fairly well compared to the rest of the United Methodist Church, the rest of the conferences, and we're doing fairly well. Now, um, with that said, that's not the whole story. So compare that to 42% of people asked if they attend church. Um, sorry, let me back up. Fewer than 22% of people in the United States say they attend church every week. Fewer than 22%. On the other side of that, there are 42% that say that they never attend church. So that's a big disparity. And of those, the nuns, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, those are those that, uh, that claim no affiliation with any religious um, organization of any kind. The nuns are increasing at a disturbingly high rate especially among people under the age of 35. So again, these were the things that, that I was dealing with on a regular basis because I was on college campus. And the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, are rampant. I mean, it's the thing to do. Like, to be affiliated with the church is not something that is... Uh, admirable anymore. It's not even the norm anymore. So these are the things that, that we were um, dealing with. Uh, again, as a nation, um, as Christians, we have this going against us. Now, on a more personal note, um, here are some odds that I am up against. So 42% 40 of pastors are seriously considering quitting or have already quit the ministry, especially with fatigue of uh, what we went through in the pandemic, I mean, the numbers are continuing to rise. And the numbers for um, educators, specifically teachers, again, not stellar. It's, it's not great. And so why did I pick these two um, positions? I don't know. Maybe I'm glutton for punishment. Who knows? But the numbers don't lie. But as you know, in addition to this, my wife um, had some complications after having brain surgery, and so now she's considered under that umbrella of um, having traumatic brain injury. So studies show that an alarming rate, an alarmingly high rate of post-injury divorce rates range anywhere between 48% and as high as 78% for those that have... Um, have experienced some type of traumatic brain injury. So, yeah, I'm not immune, immune from unfavorable odds simply because I'm a pastor. Uh, that has, it's, I'm not immune from that. I, I don't have any protection from that. But whatever it is that you might specifically be going through in your life, chances are that you are experiencing something of odds against you. Challenges come at you every single day from all directions. 
And if you allow those odds to overwhelm and consume you, you might ask yourself if it's even worth it to get out of bed. Instead, we, we must ask ourselves the question of what we would do, what we have to do in order to overcome these odds. So this week, we're trying to read ourselves into the story and into the life of the Apostle Paul. And if you're familiar with Apostle Paul, he definitely has faced some overwhelmingly unfavorable odds. And in many respects, he has overcome those odds and stayed true to his commitment to Christ. So therefore, in our last message in this particular sermon series entitled, What Would You Do? We ask this question in relationship to Paul's situation. So here's a little bit of background. Uh, we're going to be talking today in uh, the book of Acts of the Apostles, specifically the 20th chapter. Now this particular section of Acts is, the, is Paul's last message. It's dedicated to Paul's last message recorded by Luke. And this farewell sermon addresses primarily, is primarily addressed to the Ephesians and the Ephesian elders and the church who do not expect to see Paul again. So this is kind of his last words. Basically, this is a farewell sermon from Paul to all his missionary churches and the church at large. So, of course, Paul takes every advantage of this opportunity to set the record straight about his ministry and about his challenges. From Miletus, he sent, uh, let's see, he sent a message to um, Ephesus asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the, the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you, and teaching you publicly and from house to house. As I testify to both Jews and Greeks about the repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. As now, oh, and now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except, except, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. So he already knew. He didn't know exactly, but he knew that this was a very good chance. These odds were against him. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. Oh, one more. And now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the good, uh, the kingdom will ever see my face again. 
Okay, so, I mean, think about it this way. Whenever you know that this is the last time you're ever going to see somebody, you can kind of be truthful, as truthful as you can, because you know you don't have to come back, right? You know that you can let it all out. And what this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, you know what? I want, you, I want to set the record straight. So there have been some things going on, but know this, like this is my testimony. I'm trying to let you know, um, not about all the things that I did, but all the things that God has done in, with, and through my life. And so he continues. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you. Well, that sounds kind of ominous, but he continues, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherds of the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. So now it's on you, right? I've led you here. I've taught you. I've showed you what to do. Now it's on you. I know that after I have gone, savage wolves will come in and among you, not sparing the flock. What he means by this is there's going to be other people that know because I'm not there, like the cats away, the mouse will play sort of thing. So there's going to be other people trying to take advantage that I am gone, but you have to remain strong. I've taught you everything you need to know. You have everything you need in order to be successful and true to the gospel of God. Some, even from your own group, will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Again, it's very, like there's all this power at play here, and people are going to try to take this away, but know who is truly in power. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. And now... I commend you to God and to the message of His grace, a message that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sacrificed. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. So I didn't do this uh, for the fame. I didn't do this for, for any, um, any riches or anything like that. I did this because it was me responding to the gospel you know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak, remembering that the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, that is Paul, he knelt down he knelt, he knelt down with them all and prayed. There was much weeping among them all. They embraced Paul and, kisses, and kissed him, grieving especially because of what he had said, that they would not see him again. Then they brought him to the ship. So this is his farewell speech. And again, he is kind of recounting everything that he has experienced in his life because it wasn't for his glory. 
The reason that he was doing all these things is not because he, he gained some kind of financial wealth because of it. It wasn't because um, people thought well of him. That's not why he was doing it. He was doing it to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. And if there was something that was good in his life, if there was something that, that he was able to accomplish, it wasn't because of his own doing. It was because of God was working in, with, and through him. And so the way I see it is this. What does this matter for us? We have to ask this question because we also have to ask that question of what would you do in, in his place? If you were Paul and you had this brought upon you, remember he was once Saul and he was a persecutor of the Christians and a good one. He was um, a super Jew. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was, if he was going to boast about anything, he could. But he didn't. His life was changed from Saul to Paul. He was a persecutor. Now he was being persecuted for spreading the gospel. And so he wasn't doing it for ill-got reasons. He was doing it because he felt it was what he was responsible for. Because God had saved his life. He wanted to save others as well. So the question is, what would you do in that situation when the odds are stacked against you? Remember, throughout his life, it doesn't say everything here, but throughout his life, he has seen time and time and time again where he did not know if he was going to live into the morning and see the morning. It was actually a better chance that he was going to die in the morning. He had a better chance of that, that odds were in that favor as opposed to him surviving the night. And in that time, in that time, what he does, instead of moping about it, instead of saying, woe is me, what does he do? He praises God. He sings. He sings hymns of joy, of thanksgiving. This is what he does in the face of adversity. He's singing. Because what the, the odds say tells one particular story. You're not going to survive the night. You have the odds stacked against you. You're not going to survive through your ministry. What you're saying, it's going to fall on deaf ears. The odds are against you. Nobody's going to listen to, to this new religion that you're talking about. It might have worked for you, but chances are it's not going to work for anybody else. And yet, he continues. And yet he knows that he has something on his heart that he has to share. And he does. And so he shares about his life, not because he's bragging, not about himself, but he's bragging about what God has done in his life. And so there's two things that are in his life. There's the odds that are stacked against him that tell him one thing is true. And these are the statistics. And even those even those might, though those might be facts, he knows something else. He knows that God is on his side. He knows that God hasn't got him, he hasn't taken him through everything that he's been through through his life just to leave him now. And so he has faith, even in the midst of adversity, even when the odds are stacked against him, even if the odds are telling him he's not going to survive the night. He knows something different. And so this is why I brought it up to you in the first place. 
Because Paul, against all odds, was able to be successful and spread the gospel message to the world. And we are now being able to spread God's message because of what he did and specifically because of what God did in, with, and through him. So that's the first thing I want you to know is that, that Paul was talking about himself and his story that he felt he had to share only because by doing so, he would show that God is alive, that God is real, and that God is in the miracle-making business. And just think about it. I mean, the odds tell us one particular thing. The world tells us one particular thing. And if we're doing our research and we let those odds um, overtake us, we're sunk. But what miracle is, what a miracle is, is doing the impossible. What a miracle is, is facing those odds and saying, I'll take those odds. That's what a miracle is. And just to kind of bring it home a little bit. Again, we have odds against us all the time. Every single day, we are met with two different things. We are met with the odds against us, and we're also met with the new mercies that God blesses us, lavishes upon us every single day. But for me, like I said, and, and you know my story, and I tell this over and over and over again, and it's not because I'm, I'm boasting about anything other than God working in, with, and through my life. But there was a time when Laura was um, post-surgery and she had um, cardiac arrest. And here are the odds, just to kind of break it down for you. In the ER, and I, I've, I've talked to, to the ER doctors, I've talked to other doctors, and, and this is what I have been, has been confirmed for me, is that after 15 minutes of trying to revive somebody, if they still have not revived them after 15 minutes, their chance of successfully doing so decreases with each minute that they continue. And I think I told you this, but but Laura was um, trying, was being trying, was uh, they were working on her to to revive her for not just fifteen minutes, but for thirty. And here's what she had going for her, because they have to make a decision. Their, their team has to make a decision. Am I going to continue this? Are the odds in our favor? Will this be successful or is this just a waste of time? They have to make that decision. But here's what we had going for us. And I say we because we were in this together. Well, first of all, um, she was 37 at the time. So that was in her favor because she wasn't um, so advanced in age. The other thing they look at is, um, is this person, uh, does this person have a history of heart failure or anything like that? And she didn't. So that was also in her favor. The other thing is they look at what type of life, if we were able to save them, what type of life would they, um, would we be returning them to? And she was a mother. 
She was a wife. And at that time, Knox was nine months old. And Jackson was five. And I was older. Um, but I, I can't imagine what was going through their mind when they kept on working on her. They kept on and they kept on. And they knew that every single minute that they were continuing, the chances were going down. But they kept on going and they kept on going. And I have to believe, I have to believe that one of those reasons they kept on going was because they had the opportunity to get to know us and know that we were a people of faith, know that we were in ministry, know that we had a family, know all of that stuff. And I, I have to believe that that was a part of their decision-making process. Because they know on one hand all of the odds against success. But on the other hand, maybe they knew what I knew. Which was, if God is for us, then who is against us? I know the odds. But I also know my God. And I will take those odds every single day. And the reason I share this with you is, is not to, again, to boast about anything about me, but it's about to boast about what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do in my life and in your life. Because let me tell you this. The thing is, again, we are meeting challenge after challenge Odds against us after odds against us. And we're, it's stacked up against us. And that story, those facts tell one particular part of the story. But we know another story. We know that if God is for us, then who, be, who can be against us? We know that, that our God is bigger and better and stronger than anything that we ever come up against. I know that. And my hope and my prayer is that you know that too. And that if you do know that, that you will tell other people about it. You'll tell them your story. You'll tell them how God has been a part of your life. And you can boast about that. So that's what Paul was doing here. He was recounting all the times that God has shown up and shown off in his life. So that the, the faith could continue. That the gospel message that is so good that you can't help but tell it. It continues. So here we are, up against the odds. But again, God is for us. And here's the other thing. The very same, the very same spirit that created the world with God is the very same spirit that was with the prophets as, as they spoke for God. It's the very same spirit that was with Jesus Christ and helped him in his life, death, and resurrection, which is the same spirit that is with Paul that he's talking about, that was able to give him what he needed to persevere through and against all odds. And that, my friends, is the very same spirit that is living in, with, and through each and every one of us. 
So when you see the odds that are ever before you and against you, you don't have to pretend that they're not there. But what I, I pray is that you don't forget who's on your side. And again, with God for us, with God living in, with, and through us, the very same spirit that was with God from the beginning is with us now. Because of that, we can say, I'll take those odds. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.